three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 369. Uh, nice. It's a very, very nice episode number. Uh, the NBA Finals are over. It is now football season. Pretty crazy. We have, uh, I saw today, there are 50 days until the NFL season begins. And, uh, oh my goodness, man, I'm so excited. I, th- I think it's very clear, like, I, that's my favorite sport. I cannot wait until football season truly begins. Uh, and from here on out, like, I, I might have Austin on the show to talk about, like, the hockey expansion draft. That might be, like, on Sunday. Uh, I'll cover form of the one every two weeks. Uh, you know, there's a race about every two weeks, but man, like from here on out until like February or March, probably April when the NFL draft happens, like it's football. This is now a football show for like the next, again, uh, occasional cover form of the one. Uh, we'll see what happens with like Ben Simmons in free agency. But for the most part, this is now a, a football podcast from here on out for like the next six months. And, uh, Oh, gosh, man. I'm so excited. Uh, it's very cold here today. It's in the 60s, which, you know, it's July. And it, it makes me angry. Like, I, I really am excited to leave where I live. It's 80 degrees in Honolulu today. It's 65. Last I checked the weather. And it's, it's you know, afternoon now. So um, I live in the most bipolar. It was 117 degrees like a month ago. Now it's 66 degrees in July. I'm excited to leave, excited to move. Uh, moving has taken over my life. Uh, now, today, what are we going to talk about? Because, again, next episode, hey, football, 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 film analysis, like lots of stuff is on the way. On today's episode, though, uh, we're talking about the NBA Finals, going to recap what happened. We will talk about Formula One. Uh, I do have a very, very cool guest appearance from a guy who, James Price is a guy, I played football against him in high school. We go way back. He is now a coach at IMG Academy, which is, that's a whole story in of itself. It's a very interesting part of his life. He's coached some incredible people as a, a coach there at IMG. Like J.J. McCarthy is now the quarterback at Michigan. He wor- James worked with him. Uh, but James also, like his claim to fame, I guess, the, the reason why I wanted him on the show, not only is he a, a great person, got really cool perspectives, uh, he played receiver for Josh Allen. At Wyoming, like, yeah, like, caught passes, worked with them every single day. They graduated together. Like, that's a very, very interesting, cool, exciting thing. Uh, so later on the show, I talked to James Price about Josh Allen, who he was in college, and why James is not surprised at all uh, that Josh Allen is dominating the NFL the way he is today. Uh, got a very good Ask Zach segment. Hey, Allie, going to give you some advice at the end of the show. Allie wrote in with a very long, interesting question uh, and I, I got, I really was very thoughtful in answering Allie's question. We'll do that later. But today now, uh, let's shift to the NBA Finals. So the Milwaukee Bucks just beat the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. Last night, the Bucks won game six. They are now NBA champions. This is the first Milwaukee Bucks title since 1971. 50 years ago was the last time and the only other time they won an NBA championship. Uh, oddly enough, on you know to, to mark the 50 years and make 50 an even weirder number here, weirder, unique, odd, crazy, I don't know, but to win and clinch the NBA title, their star Giannis scored 50 points. Uh, pretty interesting. He won the finals MVP, very deserving. And like Giannis, 
that's a whole can of worms. Giannis is the main story to me. We'll get into Giannis in a moment. I do want to shelve that for a moment. Remember, he's a guy who's won now two NBA League MVPs as well as now an NBA Finals MVP. And I've got a lot to say about him. But first, I want to just kind of acknowledge the skeletons in the closet. Uh, I I got this series wrong. And, and it'd be very disingenuous to not say that and acknowledge it. Uh, look, I predicted the Phoenix Suns would win this series. And... Uh, Got it wrong. Uh, coming off the Milwaukee Bucks Atlanta Hawks series, remember Giannis got hurt, did not play in Game Five or Six against Atlanta, and I thought that honestly Atlanta kept shooting them. Or sorry, Milwaukee kept making mistakes and getting in their own way. And I, I thought, hey, going into the finals, Phoenix was a more complete team. Uh, remember, Milwaukee had weird turnovers and bad possessions. Giannis wasn't healthy, and it, it's pretty wild the way things went down. It was just a roller coaster of emotion. Of just like, oh my gosh, Phoenix has the two-game lead. And then, well, they lost two games in Milwaukee. And what's going to happen? And then when Milwaukee won game five, I, I remember going like, oh my. Uh, are, is this really going to happen? Like, could Milwaukee win four games in a row? And again, I go back to, remember the moment when Phoenix had a, a two-to-nothing lead in this series. And again, remember, Giannis coming off this injury did not play game five or six against Atlanta. And then what really surprised me is that, again, I would imagine that people who even believed Milwaukee could win this NBA title, people who were like very confident Milwaukee's going to win it. I don't think anybody, and, and if you were that person, great on you. I, I certainly was not one of the people who thought, hey, if Milwaukee wins this series after going down zero games to two, they're going to win four in a row. And just, I mean, it's pretty impressive what happened. And I remember game two when Giannis scored 42 points and they lost. I remember saying, hey, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, they have to step up. They have to be better. And both needed to, both did. Uh, Shout out to Drew Holiday. His defense was incredible. Uh, He got more efficient on the offensive side of the ball. Chris Middleton made a lot of shots. I mean, Chris Middleton is a very, very talented guy. I love watching the guy, and I think he's got streaky moments, but you got to give credit where credit is due. Chris Middleton delivered. Drew Holiday stepped up when he needed to. And uh, they made some great adjustments. They won four games in a row. That's really impressive. And watching them do that really confirmed to me that Milwaukee just got in their own way a lot early on. I think that against weaker teams, they didn't need to play as, as, as well and as tight. And when they were forced into adversity, Milwaukee tightened up. They came together. They delivered when they needed to. And it, I, I really, I go back to this, man. I really think that Milwaukee early on in the playoffs got in their own way and early on in this series got in their own way. And when they needed to, again, they came together. I do wonder how much, Better they would have been with Dante DiVincenzo. Remember, he uh, early on uh, got hurt and was out. did not play really in the entire NBA playoffs. Now, two guys that deserve a ton, a ton of credit for this NBA championship, aside from Giannis, aside from, you know, uh, there's a lot of people, but two people that I think really deserve credit here are P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday. The defensive pressure they provided was something that Phoenix had a really, really hard time with. You know, in Game 3, Devin Booker had... 10 points. He's the Suns' top scorer. He's like the guy who can create his own shot in the NBA. He had 10 points. He was 3 for 14 shooting. And I remember it felt like Devin Booker lost confidence. He At the end of it, he took like four shots at, after halftime. Like Devin Booker was not confident in his ability to score in that game. 
And in Game 6, Devin Booker had 19 points. And at, at watching the other team win the series, he was 8 for 22 shooting, 0 for 7 shooting threes. He had six turnovers. And to me, again, throughout the series, Chris Paul, the Suns point guard, a guy who's an NBA all-star, a legend in the NBA, had a bunch of uncharacteristic turnovers. And you have to give credit to the defensive effort of P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday for giving Devin Booker problems, for giving Chris Paul problems, for putting constant pressure on them. I mean, Drew Holiday was picking up Chris Paul and guarding him full court, just pressure, 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 not giving them anything easy. And I look back at the moves that Milwaukee made. They traded for P.J. Tucker in March. They traded for Drew Holiday in November. And those moves look genius now. The additions they made had a huge impact on them winning a championship. P.J. Tucker, I was openly rooting for Phoenix. I really wanted to watch Phoenix win the series. And I had such mixed emotions. The moment I realized I wanted Phoenix to win was when I saw P.J. Tucker playing intense, tough basketball, pushing Devin Booker to the ground, and it made me angry. And what's funny is I, when people do that, I love that normally. Traditionally, when you get a guy like Draymond Green bullying people, playing physical, I love that. This was one of the first times in my entire life watching basketball that I didn't appreciate that side of the game. And that's how I knew, oh, it's not because I don't appreciate what he's doing. It's because I just want a different outcome. I want Phoenix to win. I like Chris Paul. I like Devin Booker. And so I just can't give enough credit to guys like P.J. Tucker and Drew Holiday for making it really frustrating for Phoenix. And, and they played so, so well on the defensive side of the ball. By the way, I am really happy for Milwaukee. It's very cool. They were able to win an NBA title at home in front of their home crowd. Good for the city. Uh, I know my buddy Tom Grossi was there last night. It's unbelievable. And I'm really, I'm just happy for Bucks fans. It's really no matter who won the series, Phoenix or Milwaukee, no matter what side you're rooting for, it's a good story either way. I mean, it's just, these are not historically great NBA teams. Uh, Milwaukee's come a long way to get here. And you, you can't be, I just don't know who's like outraged or angry that Milwaukee won. It's a very cool story. It's easy to root for, easy to embrace. And that leads me to the main story which I, in this series, which I believe is Giannis. Uh, he's a Buck superstar. They call him the Greek freak. It's amazing. The dude grew up in Greece. Uh, he, was, he used to sell watches and DVDs and CDs as a street vendor, like literally on the street selling these items to help his family survive. And it's unbelievable how far the dude has come. I saw a video of him today ordering 50 chicken nuggets to kind of cap off the 50 victory debt, probably off a sleepless night. And he's driving a Mercedes. It's like, man, this guy's come so far from selling items on the street growing up in Greece. And I, I just don't really understand how anybody could hate the guy. Like, hey, I get it. If you're a Suns fan, you're probably not like, wow, awesome. I love that our team lost. But even a Suns fan has to respect what happened here. And I, I don't know how you look at Giannis and hate him. There, there's just no way. The guy who two weeks ago hyperextended his knee is dominating in the NBA Finals, scoring 50 points, winning the MVP. And I also, so not only is Giannis really easy to root for, it's, he's hard to hate on. But I also hope people do not forget that in the 2013-2014 NBA season, the Milwaukee Bucks had the worst record in the NBA, they were 15 and 67. It was like a 1.18% winning percentage. Like, really, really horrible. Whatever that is, someone could do the math there. That's terrible. I remember the numbers. Like, if, you, it was, if it was a batting average, it was 
and uh, and I, I just there are two people left from that 2013-2014 roster that are still on the team today in Milwaukee. That is Giannis and Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton in, in his own right is a very very cool story. He was a second round pick who has become an All Star, an NBA champion. I mean, Chris Middleton had 40 points in Game Four of the NBA Finals. That's a guy who was a second round pick, kind of an afterthought in the NBA draft, who has become this amazing incredibly dominant player. But what's cool is that Chris Middleton and Giannis built their championship team in the city they started in. And I know Chris Middleton started actually in Detroit, and then in his second year was that 2013-2014 season he found himself in Milwaukee. But Giannis talked about it after the game in his press conference about how he said, I could have left and joined a super team. I could have won a title that way. That would have been easy. But this is the hard way. We did it this way. And there are so many NBA superstars. There's not, it's not like there's a lot of NBA superstars around the world. But there's a couple guys around the league that when they heard this quote, I'm sure hit them to their core. A guy like Donovan Mitchell who wants to win a title in Utah. And Damian Lillard in Portland, I know heard that quote and was fired up. Damian Lillard for years. And I don't know. I hear actually trade rumors about Damian Lillard, which I, I don't know if I believe that or not. But I, I know that. Damian Lillard for years has talked about how he refuses to join a super team and how he wants to win a title in Portland. And now Giannis is the guy who made that dream a reality. He actually did that, and that's very cool. That's worth celebrating. A guy who, instead of bowing down, and it's almost, it's hard to not look at the contrast between Giannis and Kevin Durant and not kind of, it's a it's a very easy, indirect, you know, Knock against Kevin Durant, who had to move to go win a title. And I remember when there were rumors about Giannis maybe going to Golden State. And he didn't acknowledge that directly, but it's like, man, he clearly he had moments where he thought about leaving. And I'm sure he, he never he didn't want to do that. He wanted to win in Milwaukee. He made that happen. He built something very, very cool in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, winning a championship there. And so I just, you have to give credit to Milwaukee. It's a very cool story. Giannis is awesome. And I just, I just again, I asked the question, like, how can anybody hate this guy? A guy who grew up selling CDs on the street in Greece, who's now on top of the NBA world. That's a very, very cool story. Now, the next question you have to ask is, what is next for the Phoenix Suns? Because, I mean, will Phoenix be back? Jay Crowder is coming back next year. And aside from Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, this is a very, very young Phoenix Suns team. You know, Devin Booker is only 24. Mikael Bridges is 24. DeAndre Ayton is 22. Cam Johnson, who is a really, really young, blossoming role player, is going into year three next year. You can assume that Cam Johnson will be even better next year. He had a, a massive dunk on P.J. Tucker earlier in the finals. He had a crazy block. Like, Cam Johnson is a very, very quality role player, like a, a kind of getting into that six-man conversation. And Cameron Payne is a former lottery pick who, he's a good role player. And the only big question really in Phoenix is what's going to happen with Chris Paul. He's 36. Uh, there's no way that Chris Paul retires next year. I just, there's, it just seems impossible. Like people are like, is he going to retire? I'm like, no, the guy has too much money to on the table and too much opportunity to win basketball games to walk away from the next opportunity he has uh, in this upcoming NBA season. 
Now, the rumor is that Chris Paul, CP3, is looking for a really, really big contract. I've heard the number $100 million thrown around, and he does have an, a player option if he wants it to make like $44 million. And So, look, Chris Paul has earned a massive amount of money. That, that's, that's clear. Like, whatever what he did this last year it deserves respect, deserves monetary compensation. Like, I, I acknowledge all of that. And if Chris Paul wants to go get a bucket load of money, he can. Uh, but I've also read that he's earned over $250 million in his NBA career. And so I, man, I, it's, it's a weird conversation here. I don't like talking about another man's money necessarily. But I, what I would like to see from Chris Paul is to say, hey, I've made so much money in my NBA career. I want to see Chris Paul pull a Tom Brady and maybe put winning ahead of money. For for his whole career, I mean, we've actually so many times I've heard Chris Paul compared to Tom Brady, and the one thing Tom Brady has always done is said, "I I want to win championships," and put that at the forefront of every decision he made with his career. And it'll be interesting. Does Chris Paul do that? I don't know, uh, but I'm, I'm really got it. You know, the same way I'm really excited to see what happens with Ben Simmons. I like what's going. Is he going to? Where is he going to go? Who's going to trade for him? Like, what's going to happen with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia? I'm also wondering what will happen with Chris Paul's contract situation this offseason. Now, real quick, I want to give a shout-out to the Suns head coach, Monty Williams. Uh, he went to the Bucks locker room and congratulated them in person, which takes a lot of... Man, that's a tough thing to do. You lose an NBA championship, and you go to the other team's locker room to congratulate them. And that almost feels like something you, you really don't see. You see that in like Little League Baseball and like when another team wins a tournament, occasionally the coach go walk over and congratulate the other team. But here's what Monty Williams said in the Bucks locker room after the game. And remember, the opposing team's locker room as they are wearing goggles and there is tarps everywhere because they're about to shoot champagne everywhere. He said, I want to come and congratulate you guys as a man and as a coach. You guys deserved it. And I'm thankful for the experience. You guys made me a better coach, and you guys made us a better team. That is Monty Williams talking to the opposing team in their locker room after losing an NBA title. That's so classy, man. Uh, that makes me love Monty Williams even more. And, uh, man, I, I really – I just wonder what's going to happen with Phoenix next year. Other teams are going to be even better, I would imagine. I mean, there's just a lot. The West, NBA West is up for grabs like every year. And I would love to see Phoenix come back. I'd love to see Monty Williams win a title. With this team, I'd love to see Devin Booker do well. I'd love to see Chris Paul get a title. Uh, and I, I just wonder, like, what's going to happen? What is the future of the Phoenix Suns moving forward? Will they be back? But, of course, the story is Giannis. And I, I, for many, many, I mean, I, for years now, I, I remember saying, like, can this be the year that Giannis can carry his team to an NBA title? He had help, uh, but you watch him score 50 points in that last game six, and you're like, it's just ridiculous. And I... I remember almost every year when I do like an NBA preview or talk about my thoughts on the NBA, I go like, can this be the year Giannis can push through and go from being just a great player to actually winning a title? And this is the year he did it. He did it in his home city. And I, I am so at home, meaning like the place where he built his career. And uh, I'm so happy for Giannis. I'm happy for Milwaukee. Congratulations to them. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Okay, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Formula One. Very, very controversial race uh, in F1 this past weekend. Uh, my buddy James Price, remember, 
coach at IMG, played with Josh Allen in college, got a lot of good stories out of him. And then later at the end of the show, we will do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, I am curious. Does anybody have any advice for acid reflux? I am dying. Like, I have so much all the time. This morning in particular has been really, really bad. So if anyone has any advice, just please write in. Let me know uh, any advice you might have for dealing with acid reflux. It's not fun. It's just like gurgling up from my, my gut, and it just feels awful. Um, I want to shift to Formula 1. We had a massive, massive... Massive weekend in Formula One. A lot of people were in attendance. Uh, crazy controversy. Let's just start here. On Sunday, we had the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And uh, it was a wild one, man. We had a weekend where I would actually argue this is a great weekend for Formula One. And I'll explain that down the road. But first of all, this weekend we had, I guess actually we should start with a sprint qualifying. We had the first ever sprint qualifying in Formula One. So you had regular qualifying on Friday. Sprint qualifying on Saturday, the race on Sunday. And I'm not really plugged into any Formula One communities. I don't, I, I honestly, straight up, I don't know what people are saying about sprint qualifying. I can only tell you what I thought. And what I thought was it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. It's more of what I love, which is racing. I love racing. I love football. And those are my two favorite sports. And so more racing always seems like a good thing to me. Uh, it hurt Red Bull. You know, Sergio Perez had a DNF. Uh, but I thought the midfield battles in sprint qualifying were phenomenal. It was really fun. For example, Daniel Ricardo and Fernando Alonso battling for sixth place in, in the sprint was just really, really fun. I thought it was very compelling. And uh, Lewis Hamilton said afterward that he likes the sprint format. And for me, as someone who wants to see more of that, I, I thought that was a good sign because what Lewis Hamilton says has a lot of weight. And so... Um, I, I just, I, Hey, I don't know if other people enjoyed sprint qualifying, but I certainly really, really enjoyed it. I'd like to see more of that ahead. Now the race itself was quite controversial. Uh, so Lewis Hamilton won the race and I, I you know, Charles Leclerc got second, Valtteri Bottas got third. Max Verstappen did not finish the race. And, uh, What's going to be remembered is the racing incident. You know, is, was it a racing incident? I guess just the incident in general between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen on lap one. It's a big deal. Had massive ramifications for Formula One standings, for all kinds of stuff. And the best way I can describe what happened as neutrally as I can describe it, because I want to be fair, I, I'm very aware there are two sides here, is that on lap one, Max was in the lead going around Cop's Corner, and Lewis tried to make a move on the inside, they touched, and Max was sent off into the barriers. Max out of the race, car destroyed, and a trip to the hospital. Now, the question becomes, you know, is it Lewis's fault, and was it dirty driving? And, look, honestly, I'm having a hard time with this one still. Um, look, Red Bull's argument is they say that Max was in the lead going into the corner, and Lewis was never ahead of Max. Therefore, Red Bull believes that it was Max's corner and Lewis should have backed out. Plus, Lewis had room on the inside. Lewis kind of parked his car in the middle of the track when it felt like there was room on the inside of that corner he could have taken. And instead, he, you know, it, it looked like, and it's, it's not definitive, uh, there was a pretty damning replay that made it look like, hey, 
Lewis pushed Max out wide. And I, I know that me saying even that, that it looked like Lewis pushed Max out wide, half the people are going to be angry, half the people are going to agree. It's, a, it's really, it's one of the most controversial things I think I've ever seen in Formula One. Now, I will say, you think about the past, and Lewis has ran people off the track in the past. You cannot deny that. Go ask Alex Albin. And then think back to even Lewis Hamilton versus Nico Rosberg. Like, and, and what's really suspect is that who benefits from Max Verstappen crashing and not finishing the race the most? Who benefits the most from that? Lewis Hamilton. Did Lewis cause it? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I do know that if I was Max Verstappen, I would be livid. Because not only did you take the lead in the race and not only did you tra- crash the car, you also put my life at risk. And so if I was Lewis Hamilton, if I was Max Verstappen, I'd be, I'd be very, very angry. I want to read what Max Verstappen posted on Instagram after the race. He said this. First of all, I'm glad I'm okay. It was quite an impact at 51G, but feeling better. Obviously very disappointed with being taken out like this. The penalty given does not help us in any way and doesn't do justice to the dangerous move Lewis made on the track. Watching the celebrations after the race while still in the hospital is disrespectful and unsportsmanlike behavior, but we move on. So, look, I understand Max's point of view. He was, dude is pissed, right? He's, you know, hey, yeah, Lewis got a 10-second penalty for touching me uh, on the track. That doesn't help Max at all, and it appeared to not really hurt Lewis because he won the race anyway. And... My fear, honestly, is that this is going to get really, really intense from here on out. And I'm curious if there's going to be more contact moving forward between Lewis and Max. And will there be retaliation? I mean, if if something happens to Lewis and he spins out next, that's really, really intense waters that I, I don't know. And what if it's if there's a moment where, hey, if there's a moment, could Lewis tap Max Verstappen? in the final race of the year to win the race? I don't know. Now, I will say I am very glad that I didn't record immediately after Silverstone. I'm really glad I took some time. It's now Wednesday. And so I, I have to admit, I, I am very, very biased in my analysis of this moment because I, I openly am rooting for Max. I've been very, I try not to hide that. Like if I have bias and fandom, I, I try to share that. And so, uh, I would love to see Max and Red Bull steal the crown from Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. I think it's a cool story. It's it's an underdog story. To watch Red Bull beat Mercedes would be very, very exciting and very, very cool. So, I, yeah, straight up, like, I, I root for Max. I think it'd be fun and exciting to see. Now, one thing, I've had time to consider a lot what happened this past weekend as I've sat on it and thought about it a lot. And... It's really, really easy to make Lewis Hamilton out to be the villain this past weekend. But it's also worth pointing out, and by the way, I, I say it's definitive. Like, you watch the replay, it's very close. I mean, it's, and I certainly, I don't know. Like, it's not black and white as, as I kind of wanted it to be. The more I thought about it, the more I'm like, it's just not, to, to me, and I, I'm new to Form of the One I've been following for about a year and a half now. And so take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I, I to me, it's not, as black and white as other stuff has been in the past. And you have to point out that Max and Lewis are both very, very stubborn drivers. And the reality is that neither guy was going to pull out of that corner. And man, I think about 
if the roles had been reversed, if Lewis had been on the outside and in the lead, and Max was passing Lewis on the inside, I don't think Max would have pulled out either. So if the roles had been reversed, I think the same thing would have happened, but to the other guy. And anytime Lewis and Max Verstappen race each other, it's almost a game of chicken where it doesn't end until one guy pulls ahead or crashes. They're just, neither guy is going to concede an inch. They don't. And then, you know, in the replay, like it looked like, Hey, Max could have done more to give Lewis more room. And it looked like Lewis could have done more to give Max more room. So it's like, I, 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 I don't know. This is very muddy and very ugly. And I'm curious what other people will say, but these guys are so competitive. Neither guy is going to back out of a corner like that, no matter who has position. And so all, all the only takeaway I really can make from this past weekend is, is it Lewis's fault or not? Some people said yes. Some people said no. What I do know is that from here on out, it's going to be very, very intense. This battle between Lewis and Max is heating up their, their the intense rivalry. I mean, there, Max is angry. And Lewis doesn't care. And all I know is as a fan of racing, that's going to make some really, really interesting and dramatic storylines come in the future. Now, Red Bull had an awful weekend. Uh, Sergio Perez spun out during sprint qualifying. Uh, His DNF put him in last uh, for the starting grid on Sunday for the actual Grand Prix. He did not get any points this weekend. Sergio Perez did not. He finished 16th in the race. The only kind of positive you can find it all for Red Bull or Sergio Perez is that uh, he took a pit stop with stop with two laps to go. He sacrificed any chance at a top 10 finish. But what he did in that pit stop is get new tires and get the fastest lap. So he stopped Lewis from getting points for the fastest lap. Uh, that kind of stole a point from Lewis. And he kind of, he sacrificed like, I'll sacrifice a point for me if I can take one from Lewis and help in the battle between Max and Lewis. Of course, Max did not get any points during the race either because he crashed. He did get three points from sprint qualifying. Remember, you get uh, a point for finishing first during the sprint on Saturday. And uh, here is why this weekend, I think two reasons why this weekend was very, very good for Formula One. Number one, obviously, the rivalry between Max and Lewis and Red Bull and Mercedes, it's been reignited and intensified. There is no love lost right now. And, you know, you crashed our guy. And we were, we'll be petty and steal fastest lap from you. Anything they can do. These two competitors are neck and neck there. I mean, Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal, has been openly very, very unhappy with Toto Wolf. I've seen them talk very friendly in the past. Seems like all that's out the window right now. They are not happy with each other. They are going to fight tooth and nail to the end. It's going to be a very, very interesting battle like this it's heating up and it's going to be very very interesting and intense from here on out so that's one way that you know formula one really really benefited from this past weekend of the british grand prix the second thing that happened was that the pack was brought closer together the gap between max and lewis has been closed i mean the, the lead max leads lewis 185 points to 177 Lewis is now in striking distance of Max Verstappen. And even as someone rooting for Max Verstappen, I acknowledge that's good for Formula One. And that actually makes me happy because I would love to see Max Verstappen win the Formula One title. I, I shamelessly admit that. But what I do not want is a blowout. I hate when one person wins decisively and it's not interesting and it's boring till the end. So, and now I respect a dominating win. 
But I, if I'm honest with myself, I don't enjoy that. I would like to see it come down to the final race within a couple points, and I, I want it to matter all the way till the very end of the season. I would like to see that. So when one guy is dominating the other, I don't love that. It's not my favorite thing in sports. So to see the 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 gap closed between these two drivers, that's awesome. Now, Red Bull also only leads Mercedes now 289 points to 285. Red Bull had a massive lead going into the weekend. That lead is gone. Red Bull only got three points the entire weekend. They got three points from Max Verstappen getting first in the sprint. Mercedes got three points as well in sprint qualifying because Lewis got, or you know, they got second and third. So that's, you know, two points for second, one point for third, three points total. So that's neutralized, right? And then in the race, they got a total of 35 points for first and third place. And so Mercedes made up 35 points this weekend in their battle against Red Bull. So not only did the battle between Mercedes and Red Bull get tightened down, also McLaren and Ferrari are very close together in the battle for third. Ferrari got second place with Charles Leclerc and sixth with Carlos Sainz. McLaren got fourth and fifth. Lando Norris got fourth. Danny Ricardo got fifth. Uh, McLaren right now is in third in Formula One with 163 points in the constructors' standings. And Ferrari's in fourth with 148 points. It's close. It's interesting. This battle between... The, my other favorite battle right now in Formula One is this battle between Ferrari and McLaren. And so... Man, I mean, there's a lot of good battles in the midfield. I don't need to go too much into it. I think it's interesting what um, what's going on with uh, Alpine is really interesting. Fernando Alonso is making significant progress. Uh, but right now, the, the two battles at the top are dominating my headspace. Uh, Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari and McLaren. And I just I walked away from this weekend thinking, like, this is really, really good for Formula One. Now, one final thing I do feel like I need to say and want to say about uh, the, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, is that whether you think Lewis Hamilton was the villain this weekend or not, it was still an impressive comeback. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton got a 10-second penalty for the incident with Max. And then here's the situation, this kind of the, the screenshot you have to make to go, wow, in this situation, he won the race. So with 16 laps to go, Lewis was in third place, 12 seconds behind Charles Leclerc, who was in first place. And he made up a ton of time in 16 laps. I, I know he has a better car, but that's still really impressive driving that he came back and won the race in that situation. That's worthy of respect in my book. Uh, I just think that, hey, like, no matter whether you like Lewis or not here, that's an impressive comeback. He did it in front of his home fans in the British Grand Prix. That's very, very cool. Also, shout out to Charles Leclerc. He led the race for 50 of 52 laps. At the end of lap one, he had the lead. He held on to that lead until lap 50 when he got passed with two laps to go. Uh, that's Getting second is a great result for Charles Leclerc. And again, my final thought really as I look back on this past weekend in Formula One is that the British fans are unbelievable. I mean, you could hear it's one of the first times in a long time I've, listened, I've watched the Formula One race and audibly heard the fans in the background as they cheered as cars went by. And I am not sure how they count this. Like if you come on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or you counted three times or not, I don't know. But I read that the weekend attendance was 356,000 people this, this weekend, which is, that's unbelievable. 
It's I, I don't know how they count that. Are you counted multiple times? I don't know. But nonetheless, the crowd was awesome. The energy at Silverstone was unbelievable. Shout out to the fans. Uh, really, really fun. And I'm excited. August 1st, we got another race coming up. I believe Hungary. Uh, hung- Hungary? Hungary? However you say it. Someone can school me. I don't know. I'm not I'm not European. Uh, but I'm really, really excited for Formula 1. It's it, It's heating up, man. This battle between Lewis and Max has been fun. And it feels like it's only just getting started. So I am really excited for the rest of the year in Formula 1. It's going to be very, very interesting, very, very exciting. And, uh, man, I I hope that Max can put his car back together. I mean, that <laughs> that poor thing was destroyed. And will that cause any problems for Red Bull moving forward? Like, I don't know. Will it hurt their, their chemistry of their car? I don't know. So keep your eye on that, too. Can Red Bull even come back from rebuilding their car? I don't know, uh, but I, I'm really excited for the rest of the year in Formula One. It's going to be an incredible finish to the 2021 Formula One season. All right, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, coming up next, we have uh, a guest, James Price, a guy I love. I'll talk about. I'll do an intro for him. He's he's a great person, great dude, really insightful and interesting. And then later we have Ask Zach, where I answer questions from the audience. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right. All right, we are back. Uh, I want to share kind of a funny thought. I was reading YouTube, YouTube comments and Instagram messages and stuff, and it is kind of a weird reality that not only did two teams called technically the Bucks in 2021 win a title, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, also known as the Tampa Bay, people just call them the Bucks, won a Super Bowl in 2021. Now the Milwaukee Bucks, more like the Deer Bucks, have won a... NBA title, also in 2021. But even weirder is that on the day that the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA title, it was also the same day the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Bucks, went to the White House to celebrate their Super Bowl victory. Very bizarre. It's kind of a weird coincidence. You're like, huh. It's If you're a team named the Bucks, it's a great time uh, for your organization. Uh, I want to shift gears now to an interview I did with my buddy James Price. James Price is a guy, I played against him in high school football, was a legendary receiver, beat my team many, many times. It was frustrating, not fun. Uh, He also played receiver in college for Josh Allen at Wyoming. And now he coaches at IMG Academy. He's a very, very cool dude. Uh, Got some good stories, got some good insight about quarterbacks and about what IMG is and all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I please hope you enjoy my conversation with James Price. Enjoy that now. Joining me now is James Price, a guy who you played receiver at Wyoming. Uh, you're now the wide receivers coach and special teams coordinator at IMG Academy. We got to get into that in a moment. But first of all, just, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, I'm, I'm blessed living a good life down here in southwest Florida. But uh, life's good. Life's good. How you been? Dude, I, I'm moving, which is insane. But mm-hmm. it's otherwise phenomenal. And um, I, I'd like to ask first, if, if I may, you have a connection to Josh Allen, where Josh Allen was brought into the league, and myself and all these people had ev- uh, everything to say about him, but I've never met him. Mm-hmm. You played receiver for Josh Allen, and so when you see him doing so well, it's interesting to watch. I've watched you talk over the couple of years that I've known you. You were not surprised at all to see him do incredibly well in the NFL. Tell me why that is, why you saw Josh Allen, like, this is, he's going to do well. You had absolute confidence in him. I think it was his demeanor as a person more so than as a football player. Um, mm. It's actually funny when people ask, like, what was he like in college? As 
as a young guy coming in, um, I came in as a freshman. He was coming in as a junior college transfer. So we were technically in the same recruiting class, even though he's a year older. And he was just Josh. He wasn't, he wasn't Josh Allen yet, the, the superstar that he is today. So I think the first thing that stood out to me, I really started to notice he was different, was he was a relentless competitor. Like he, mm. like he, and he talks about this in some of his documentaries and interviews to this day. Like he really has that passion in his heart where he feels like if you didn't recruit me, you didn't believe in me at any point in my life, you've done me wrong and I'm out to prove you wrong. And it was like that mentality like showed up at a very young age, very competitive, air hockey, ping pong, cornhole, it didn't matter what it was. He was super competitive. And then once he started to, you know, gain weight, he got bigger, stronger, faster. He battled some injuries just like we all do. That was when the, the quarterback of Josh Allen started to blossom and the stardom of him because he started showing up, making plays. But he was always a leader, and he was always super competitive. I love that. I mean, he, he went to Juco, so that sounds like that's where he got the chip on his shoulder, a very valuable thing to have. It, it's the thing he always wants to remind people, hey, like I didn't get – Wyoming was my best offer, and that is ridiculous. Now looking at me like, how the heck did that guy not get better offers and go to a better school? And not nothing against Wyoming, but like he's he's the best, one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, what was he like? Uh, you caught passes from him. His arm is massive, like it's a cannon. What was that like? It was unique. It was unique because when he, when I first met him, I first started catching passes from him in practice. He he had a different kind of velocity on the ball, like than the rest of the guys in the line. And that was when everyone started talking about it. But it wasn't until after he broke his collarbone. He, he broke his collarbone, I want to say, uh, week two or three of our freshman year. And everyone thought, oh, this, his stardom would be put on pause, be, or excuse me, put on pause <laughs> because he's, you know, he'd broken the collarbone as a quarterback on your throwing arm. Like, there's no way you can recover from that. But what happened was it was kind of like the, uh, what's that old film where uh, the million dollar, million dollar arm or whatever, where he, he breaks his collarbone and it comes back even stronger. Like, it was... Mm. It was something that just kind of happened miraculously where he just had a different poise behind his throws. Like he really would put some zing on the ball and everyone was like, wait, I thought he was coming off of injury. But it never once hindered his throwing ability. It never once, um, you know, took away his velocity or anything like that. It really was like the supernatural thing where he all of a sudden just had this crazy arm strength and it, it blossomed into what I believe is probably one of the most impressive arm talents in the history of the game. I wonder if he's got anything similar to Drew Brees where Drew Brees wrote in his book, Coming Back Stronger, he hurt his arm, and it taught him to pay attention to the little muscles that I, later in college, I learned about that too, the little rotator cuff muscles and the little movements that you don't think about normally just growing up, and learning those and how to take care of your arm made my arm way stronger too. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious because a lot of people in college have great arms and throw the ball, you're like, wow, that dude's amazing. What made him go from a guy who was just really talented to the guy, Josh Allen, the starting quarterback? I'll tell you, it was his presence about him. Like, mm. he, and like I said, he, to us, was always just Josh. And then we started seeing, you know, John Elway showing up to practice. Hugh Jackson's walking into your apartment. Like, we started to see these, these guys that really wanted to come and evaluate him because word was getting out that we had an arm talent that has never been seen before, and it's in Laramie, Wyoming. So a lot of people started coming around to our practices, and, and honestly, it was that brand that he built around University of Wyoming. Our, our class, between the class of 2015 and 2016, um, I believe they generated about $46 million of TV streams, advertising, interactions on social media. Like, Wyoming started to become not a household name in comparison to some of the SEC schools, but 
bigger than bigger than Wyoming had been in the past. And that was much attributed to Josh and his presence of I'm going to lead this group of guys to do something special that Wyoming has never done before or never done in a long time. And in the end, we were going to see that, you know, we were all slept on in our own way. I'll never forget the 2018 draft class because you had Baker was first, but everyone believed Sam Darnold was going to be the number one guy taken in the draft. And Josh Allen was an afterthought. Lamar Jackson was an afterthought. And they early on have become the most impressive, you know, Lamar winning an MVP. Josh Allen probably was in the runner up in the MVP this year. Uh, How did you, what did you make of the criticism in the draft process? I remember people and myself included, because Josh Allen for me changed the way I evaluate quarterbacks, him and Justin Herbert overcoming what I thought were a couple inaccuracy problems, little things in college, and just blossoming under great coaching in the NFL. When you saw him getting criticized as inaccurate, how did that make you feel? And what did you think of all that, that whole process? Well, I felt it to be ridiculous. And I feel like, (laughs) (laughs) because I saw it firsthand. And it's funny how when you ask the people that see it every day in practice, the people that play on those teams, the coaching staffs, or even support staffs that play around those caliber of, of stars in the NFL or in college, they're able to see every day how they work, see every day, you know, how the plays they make in practice. They didn't see the work that he was putting in and, and how much he worked on his accuracy. And so when they started coming out reports that, oh, he's extremely inaccurate, he has all these mechanics he has to work on, his footwork needs to be more polished, and his receivers can't catch and make plays for him. I'm like, oh, okay, so now, like, what can we do right, you know? Because we're still winning games, so there's something that we got to do right. And I think that's really, you know, it's caused a shift in coaching to where if your guy can't do something well, then cater to them. The quarterback is kind of the heart of the football team. If your quarterback can't do something well, you know, maybe he's inaccurate. Okay, well, work on his accuracy while you develop more ways to run the ball and maybe do quarterback run game. And that was something that Josh excelled in. So while he's still working on his fundamentals and his accuracy every single day, trying to be the best player he can be, we decided as, a, as an offense that we're going to shift our philosophy a little bit to cater to what you know, helps us win games. And for Josh, that was running the ball, lots of play actions, allowing him to be creative and make you know, defenders miss so he can extend plays downfield. That was what he excelled in. Yeah, I, I will always tell people last year watching Josh Allen and Justin Herbert shred the NFL. That's why I was so high on Trey Lance in the NFL draft. I'm like, this guy from North Dakota State, yeah, he's got a weird hitch in his step. There might be a couple of mechanical flaws. Can you not coach him? Like, Because yeah. clearly Josh Allen got coached up. Clearly Justin Herbert got better with coaching. It's like it's not like guys are just stunted and can't ever get better. And it's very obvious watching Josh Allen last year. This guy got way more accurate, way better footwork. It's pretty fun to watch. Um, I guess I'm curious because I – I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I, I always I look at it and just go, man, it's so cool to see a guy doing so well. And I watch, I think it was Jordan Poyer, the Bills safety, came out and said, like, that's he watched him hurdle somebody or die for a touchdown or do some kind of like crazy, impressive, like lay it all on the line play where he dove or something. And was like, that's the kind of guy I want to play with. You say, like, it was that chip on his shoulder. He's a ruthless competitor. Do you have any other stories about that? A guy just putting out on the line and making stuff happen? Well, I think. I mean, not to continue talking about Josh because, you know, he was kind of the face of Wyoming football at that time. But yeah. I think it goes to show that he inspired a whole generation of student athletes at Wyoming to just have that confidence and that swagger, step on the field with that chip on their shoulder. Um, mm. my, my first and most memorable memory um, as a Wyoming Cowboy was a triple overtime thriller against uh, Northern Illinois at home. We had a 
huge thunderstorm rain delay. I, don't, I think the game kicked off at like 11.30 p.m. Everyone was super tired and didn't want to be there. Kenny Galladay was the star for uh, Northern Illinois on the other sideline. He gave us mm. absolute problems the whole night. Kenny Galladay show versus Josh Allen. Um, and, you know, we had another running back in Brian Hill that was also dominant, you know, at, at that time period. But it was the first coming out party where we really saw Josh take over a game. And it was just like, no matter what, I don't care what time, it's 3 in the morning, we're going to win this game right here in triple overtime. And then he finishes the game with extending the play, making three, four guys miss, and diving into the end zone. And it felt like the whole city of Laramie, Wyoming, was piled up there at that moment. And that was kind of like when his stardom was born to me. So I think those moments inspired all of us. And, and there's so many players. I think Wyoming actually had the second most in the group of five players in the NFL behind Temple last season. So Wyoming to me was special because that group of guys, and it was led by Josh, but that group of guys really started and created an environment of you have to have that chip on your shoulder every day when you show up to work. That's how you become great. Can I ask you about IMG? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't fully understand IMG. Like I, everyone knows, IMG Academy, this legendary football school. You put out, you just, it's like a factory, man. You guys put out player after player after player. Uh, a guy I played with in high school football, Thomas Fletcher, even played there for a year for going to Austin in Texas. Um, I, I guess my my question is, I don't even understand how it works. Is it a private school? Is it a? a it's not a public school. Like, how, how do you get to IMG if you're a kid who wants to play there? So IMG is a private boarding school. Um, it's basically built to be a sports factory in, in that sense. You know, we still have strong academic services. They still have to go to school. You know, they don't just come here to play sports. But um, it's a really unique opportunity um, in football particularly. We have four football teams. So we have our national team, our varsity team, our varsity blue team, and then the postgraduate football team. And they all service and cater to really different style athletes. The national team is pretty much compiled of the top 10 to 15 players at each position, um, offense, defense, and special teams. We want to have the best talent in the world. Um, and, and we bring them in and we give them an opportunity to prepare for college before they get there. Right? They're going to they're gonna have the best nutrition services. They're going to have the best um, strength and conditioning coaches. They're going to have what we think and consider as the best coaching staff in the country. They're going to have the best resources, and it's going to have a good quality of life here in sunny Florida. So that's a really unique opportunity for those national team kids to get the maximum amount of preparation before they get to college. And most of those students go on to play big-time college football, whether it's SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, whatever it may be. Um, that's kind of their niche. Now, the varsity program is more structured for your typical high school varsity program you'd see around the country. Um, kids come from all over the world, really. Some kids have never even played football before. Um, and obviously that varsity program services a whole different student athlete uh, you know, than Bo Scarborough, let's say, who's you know, a national team running back back in the day. So, and then we have our postgraduate football team, which is a really cool opportunity for those people that just feel like they didn't have enough opportunities or chances or maybe it was academics or injuries. Uh, we have the postgraduate football team, which services those student athletes' needs, or maybe they had a COVID season taken away from them. Um, the postgraduate football team is something that I feel like is really beneficial to those student athletes that use that. Do you have fun? Because I mean, I you're oh, not yeah. a normal high school coach. You're not at Dinky, like frankly, Skyview High School. Working, <laughs> you know, you're not a gym teacher on the side. Like you get to work with the best in America at what they do, and sometimes in the world. I mean, is that fun to like have? Because it's a no. I mean, it's so crazy. You're 24 years old, 25 roughly. 
uh, you're my age, and you're the special teams coordinator, your receiver coach, work with these incredible athletes. Like, how fun is that? It's incredible. And, and honestly, it's what's the reason I do it is because I learn every single day. And I, only, mm. I not only learn from the other coaches and learn from you know, my own experience, I learn from the players as well. And I get feedback from them. I might teach them something, teach them a concept, teach them a technique. And then I'm like, what do you guys think of that? I want their feedback and their response because then I'm growing as a coach too. So it works hand in hand for me. And that's why I love this job and I get the most out of it because there's a lot of high school football coaches out there that would love to be coaching at IMG Academy. And so you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be in this position and I have fun every day showing up to work. Yeah, you have a job where, I mean, I, I have a job too like this where I, I look around like so many people love to do what I do. Yeah. And I'm never going to take it for granted. I, I love talking about sports. It's the most beautiful thing I could ever have as, as a career. And I, I'm sure you feel that same way. Just like, man, I'm so glad I get to do this. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess, are there any guys that you've worked with? You're like, I can't, it was so fun to work with that guy. There's a lot. Um, as far as our <laughs> staff goes, I mean, from, from Pepper Johnson and Chris Dishman, um, we got George Hageman. We got guys on our staff that have won Super Bowls, Mike Sellers, Pro Bowlers. We got guys on our staff that played Division Three football. We got guys on our staff that got, you know, celebrity family members. And it's it's really humbling because we all coach high school football at the end of the day. You know, it's it all boils down to that. We <laughs> got to show up. We got to wear the same colors. Got to believe in the same thing, and we all got to be on the same page and communicate. So it's it's like I said, it's humbling to see these guys that have won Super Bowls and played in Super Bowls and been pro bowlers at the highest level and they talk to us and communicate with the same guys that maybe played Division Three football or never even played football but they love to coach and love the game. So it's a learning opportunity for everybody really because sometimes when you get to that level of, of stardom it's really hard to transition to being a football coach and vice versa. You know it's not all football coaches were good players and not all good players are good football coaches so it's a really unique opportunity here at IMG. I want to ask you, I, I forgot to ask you about this, the postgraduate opportunities at IMG, because I don't, what does that mean? Like guys are, they're done with high school. They want to play more. What happens? There? I don't understand how that works. So they basically have an opportunity where they can declare um, that they're going to reclass to the classification behind them. So hmm. um, let's say for us in 2015, if we didn't you know, feel like we got the offers we needed or we had a COVID season, which is you know, one in a million kind of opportunity, uh, we could have gone and joined the postgraduate football team at IMG Academy, and it's basically we're class of 2016 all of a sudden. You get to play still against you know, some competitive schools, other postgraduate football teams in the country, um, which are mostly on the East Coast. And then you, know, you still have an opportunity to go and get recruited in that 2016 class. So mm -hmm. the postgraduate team is a really unique thing. This is the third year of it coming up. Um, but it's been a successful program, and the kids really love it. We got a really good college placement rate of 99%, uh, you know, through all four of our programs, which is, you know, our biggest recruiting tool. You know, 99% of the kids that you guys that their parents send here, we place them in college, whether it's mm -hmm. Alabama or you know, Oberlin College, a high division or high academic division three school. It doesn't matter. We're going to get their kids placed. So that's our biggest recruiting tool that we use. Is that we're going to get you placed in college and get you, you know, on pace to get a meaningful degree. Is it often guys who don't like the offers they have? Like they have an offer or two and they're like, I don't want to play D3 this or D2 there. I want to, I have bigger aspirations. Not so much. We do have some of those. Um, and again, those are guys that just believe in themselves and, and they think that they can play at a higher level. 
but most of our student athletes on the postgraduate team didn't have any offers or didn't mm. get any of the opportunities they felt like. Um, and then another two of our biggest factors that come into play with the postgrad team is academics um, and mm. then injuries. Yeah. Academics and injuries are the two biggest reasons that you know people would join that team just because they might need those extra four credits to be eligible to, to accept the offer that they already have. Or, you know, maybe I was having a great senior season and then I hurt my throwing arm. Those could all be reasons that someone's like, hey, I feel like I'm going to go ahead and reset my classification for the class behind me, give this thing another chance, and let's ride. That's so cool. I mean, I, I yeah. love that. It's like a second chance for anybody who needs it or wants it. I, I certainly, there are a lot of things I'm like, I, I wish I had known this or done that, you know, go looking back. And it, that's really, really cool. I, didn't, I never knew that was a thing, that you could find a way to keep playing and get yourself a, another opportunity. Oh, absolutely, or else I would have done it back in my day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm happy for you, man. I almost moved to Florida. Like, I, I really, I live, I still live in Portland, or in the Washington, Vancouver area. And I'm like, I, mm -hmm. it rains here. Winter is brutal. I'm like, I don't, I really want sunny weather every day. And yeah. so I'm jealous of you. I'm like, ah, it looks so fun. <laughs> um, can, can we talk about high school football briefly? Because I played against you. Yeah, uh, I never beat Camus, your high school. I, I still to this day I've never seen Skyview beat Camus. We got close last year. Uh, many, many in fact, I really want to get your old coach John Eagle on the show. I have great reverence and respect for him. So I, I guess first of all, talk about Camus. I'm just there's there's got no question. Just what what was your thoughts and memories of Camus? Camus was uh, I was blessed to go to Camus. Honestly, I was surrounded by um, a group of guys that I felt like all had the same mindset. We were pretty much conditioned at a very young age in youth football growing up CCYF league like you know we're all going to stick together till our senior year of high school and we're all going to dominate this this county this region and we just got to believe and you that. did that and you was did something that we believed in starting in I don't know fourth grade when I started playing with Zach Eagle and John Eagle so um it was it was definitely um, great to be at Camus, and I think what made it special was we all believed in, in the mission. We all wanted to win a state title, and I actually never won a state title. I fell short, but um, we still felt like we had that chip on our shoulder even when we were the favorite, and we were the favorite in most games. So Camus was really special to me. Uh, what's it like to lose a state championship? Because I, I really want to interview someone who's won a title, like whether it's – I don't care if it's high school, college, the NFL. Like I want to meet someone who's won the last game of the year, and you came like so close. What's that mm – -hmm. that's heartbreaking, I, I mean, I'd imagine. Talk about that. It was heartbreaking because that was the first time that I felt like, oh, wow, we got beat. You know, there's some times where we put ourselves in situations where um, – you know, we came close to losing, but that was the first time it happened to be the last game of the season and the biggest game where they beat us. They stayed locked in all four quarters to the very last second, and, you know, they had their miraculous comeback there in the last minute 30 of the game. But that was the first time that I felt like they outprepared us and they stuck in the fight. And and I couldn't believe it because, you know, that was kind of Camus's thing that we hung our hat on was we're going to show up really prepared, we're going to believe to the last second, and we're going to play harder than you. And so losing in that same fashion was very humbling. And, and going on to the next level, I ended up losing the Mountain West Championship at Wyoming, too. So I had that sting and that bad taste in my mouth multiple times now. What's it like to play in Boise? You got the blue turf and the, the mountain air. What's that like? Boise's a good city. I, I like Boise as far as the city goes. Um, the turf itself is absolutely horrible. And if you ask anybody, <laughs> if you ask anybody that's played... Um, it, on that turf, it's it's horrible. 
it's a joke. It's a safety hazard. I mean, I'm being for real. It's not good quality turf, uh, but it is. I mean, it's a good recruiting tool and it looks cool. Um, but as far as the actual conditions of that turf, it needs to be replaced and it needs to be taken out of the grandfather system and they go regular green turf because it is bad and it's getting worse by the day. What about the, have you ever played in the Redfield up in Spokane? In Cheney, Eastern Washington? Yeah, Cheney, yeah, Cheney, yeah, yeah. I've been there many times. Have you, you ever played on that field? I, I've never played on that field, but I did attend the Eastern Washington football camp when I was trying to get, you know, trying to get some offers out of high school. I went up to their camp for about a week, and I spent some time on the red field, but I never played a game against them. We probably went to that camp together, actually, now that I think about it, because I remember going to their, their like, quarterback receiver camp. I, I've only been on, I've, I mean, I've actually done ESPN jobs there, but I've done more jo- camera jobs than actual playing. Um, I want to give you props because I, I watched you play live multiple times and it was so frustrating to play you because I feel like they just put the ball in the air and you just, I, I like, I have it ingrained <laughs> in my mind because I thought we, when I played you, we played you pretty good at the first half. We, it was like 17, mm-hmm. 21 or something. And then it was the James Price show and we just, they launched, Camus launched it deep, whatever the hell your quarterback was. And I, I just see a pair of hands go up above everybody else in a double coverage and you snag it. And I watched you do it so many dang times. It hurts to this day. And so I, want to, I just want to give you props, man. Like, you realize, I hope, and I hope the audience knows too, you were a dominating force in high school football. It's unbelievable to watch. And I, I just – I hope you know that because I, I remember – I just will always – it sticks in my craw to this day, that pair of hands going up, snagging <laughs> that ball, and I'm like, oh, dang it. Yeah. And, um, man, I, I want to ask too because you – what's Laramie like? I've been to Bozeman, Montana a couple times. I've been to Yellowstone, but I've never been to Laramie. What's the city like? It's really small. And it's really tight knit community. And it's one of those feelings where I felt like the, the city of Laramie was just a resemblance of our football program, Be- mm. like a, a mere reflection, because you would go around the city and we wouldn't get special treatment because we were football, but people would hold us to a higher standard because they're like, you are the example for our university. Um, and so we took a lot of pride in that. And you could see that cowboy tough mentality in the entire city of Laramie, Wyoming. Um, people just kind of go about their day. We'd have blizzards and minus 30 degree weather and 50 mile power winds. And people are just going about their day going to Walmart. It's, I mean, it's a resilient city, a lot of tough people. I love the city of Laramie. Um, and I just remember my, my visit, my first time getting there, we landed into the Denver international airport and they're like, okay, we have a two hour and 15 minute drive now to Wyoming. I was like, where are we? Like, (laughs) I've never, I didn't, I couldn't point Wyoming out on the map before I got there. So my visit was was a eye-opening experience for me, and that was really when I met a lot of those guys from my class and a lot of those recruits that committed with me was on that visit, and the rest is history. I know I've been I've been to Bozeman in the winter, and, mm-hmm. and Bozeman and, and Laramie are not the same city, but I remember the orange glow of the snow covering the ground. It's nighttime. It's the orange like streetlights, and the way it kind of made this orange glow around the city. Has that happened in Laramie too? Absolutely. You can see some beautiful, beautiful scenery. Unbelievably yeah. beautiful scenery, yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, I guess if, last question for you I have is uh, you coached J.J. McCarthy, who's now at Michigan. I'm curious about him because I, I don't know much about him. J.J. McCarthy is probably the most unique high school football player I've ever seen, coach, played with, played against. Out of all of the high school football players I've ever seen, J.J. McCarthy is probably number one as far as he's special, mm. cerebral is the word Mm -hmm. I would use. He's someone that will literally take the call sheet, take our practice scripts and go out and do the whole practice in cleats, drip and sweat, pointing, communicating, giving fake signals to the receivers, 
lining up, giving protection, setting motion, everything. He'll go through the whole practice script, drip sweat, then he'll come up to position meetings and get ready for practice. I love and, that. And that was when I realized that's how you take the quarterback position to that next level, right? The, I talk about with my receivers the mental gymnastics of playing receiver and of playing football, but to be a quarterback, you got to take it to that next level. Quarterback's got to be so special mentally because he's thinking about everybody's job, right? Everybody's job has to be in one, and it's his job to control that with his voice. So that was, that was the first thing I realized with J.J. was that he's willing to put in the time. He's willing to prepare, and he works his butt off, and he's extremely talented. And I think he's going to do great things at Michigan because he's just the type of kid that won't take no for an answer and won't accept failure. He's going to just keep working at it until he wins. That made me a fan of the guy for life because I've yeah. done that. I transferred in uh, in college, and I, I used to go to this like a boiler room where it was really loud where I could yell the cadence and no one could hear me. Mm-hmm. And I would just go through the cadence, go through my calls. It's the only way I could learn the playbook. And so I've, I've had that moment. I'm, I'm, I'll never have a moment like J.J. McCarthy, but that makes me like I, I've done that a little bit, and that's so cool, and that's the next step you have to do. And I, 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 that's a great story. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because it makes me want to root for him forever now. Like He's a guy who gets it, and that's so next level, and I, I just love that. So thank you, man. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's a, he's a really forward thinker, too. I don't know if you've mm. seen the trends on Instagram. He's now doing, like, the 360 passes and the jump passes. That's all stuff that, you know, has been out for the last five to ten years. But I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that really starts to transition and bring it into live games, kind of like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen are doing right now, like no-look passes and, you know, throwing across their body, making crazy throws. I wouldn't be surprised if J.J. is one of those guys that just starts throwing – 360 jump passes to the corner <laughs> route on smash like just because you know just because he knows he can and he can throw it accurately i wouldn't be surprised if he kind of pioneers that bringing that into live reps and in meaningful games not in just practice i encourage anyone because even not in a meaningful even just a normal practice situation even just throwing on a field grab a football anybody listening and run around and try that because I watch him on Instagram, like I couldn't, I couldn't even do that now. I, I like probably not even with like a little tiny, like I do with like a little Nerf ball, but not a real football. Mm-hmm. It's like that's just the arm strength, the talent, the ability to throw the ball is so impressive to me. Yeah. Um, and it's cool to hear as a guy who works really hard behind the scenes. I think JJ takes pride in being unique. He takes pride in being different from everybody. But at the same time, it's not where it's like, oh, this guy thinks he's special. This guy thinks just because he's talented, he doesn't have to do what the other guys do. He's not like that. His leadership comes from leading from the back sometimes. Right? Mm. So he's like, I'm, he wants to empower his teammates to play to their best potential. He wants to give them confidence. Hey, man, just keep that corner angle high. I might throw you a 360 pass here. I might throw you a no-look pass here. Like, he wants to exude and give those guys confidence so that he can play his game. Right? If he gets his receivers and his O-line to play for him and play with him, right, then he can go out and ball out freely because he feels protected. So that's kind of his mindset is he wants his teammates, he wants to see them flourish to their highest potential. And he understands that that comes through him. So he's going to prepare and do everything in his will to see them you know, play at their highest potential. What it sounds like is almost, you say extra, I would even, or you would say, you know, he's not afraid to be different. I would almost say it sounds like he's not afraid to do extra stuff, yeah. whether it's speaking up here or there or doing an extra drill or doing stuff on the side. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Obviously, he's never afraid of the extra, and there's definitely some long nights and early mornings with J.J. as far as his preparation. Um, the, and quarterbacks that I've heard with that same mentality, Tom Brady, you know, like guys that are just obsessed 
with football, obsessed with getting that upper hand and that advantage, JJ is one of them. We had uh, we had football school in the summertime when they first arrive, you know, new arrivals every year. And we put them through football school. And sometimes those meetings would be real late at night, you know, or they'd go to school all day. We'd have football in the morning, and then they'd have to come to meetings at night. And the quarterbacks, receivers, checked out. You know, they're tired. They want to get back to the dorms. They might have homework. He would show up every day early, meet before, show up to the meeting. Then he'd stay after and meet privately. Then he might go back to the dorms and draw up all the plays for tomorrow on the whiteboard. Like, so to him, it was just... It's just work. You know, it's that slow mm. grind that he just fell in love with, and it's just work to him. It's just another day. It sounds like ING was a, a place for him that was like heaven because he sounds like a guy who loves football and is passionate and driven, and to get to do football more than a normal high school kid and be like have your high school experience centered around football is the kind of thing he just loved. Absolutely. And that's what we always tell the guys is use IMG. Use IMG and all its beauty and all its resources and and get everything out of it that you possibly can don't let img use you right those three letters are just to help your brand but you at the end of the day have to go out and perform and you have to develop um, but img gives these kids an opportunity to see them flourish to their highest potential because they you know they have the best academic services they have the best college prep and the sat act and all that they have the best football team in the country so everything is modeled to be the best. And when you have that mentality of winning and wanting to be the best at everything you do, you're prepared for anything, and, you know, in all facets of life. And it's outside of just football. We're preparing and developing young men to be meaningful contributors at the next level right away. That's, that's really our selling point. Yeah, if you could go back, you'd do that, right? Uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. It, it sounds, I mean, I'm like, that sounds amazing. I, what mm -hmm. I would have given to not have to deal with, like other to like focus on football my yeah. actual passion would have been incredible in high school yeah and, and, and it's not unique to, sorry like but I, in europe they have schools for soccer that are like this i mean it's in america for some reason we don't have more of img academy places but in europe everywhere there are places like img that are centered around soccer so it's not like it's this crazy abstract thing it only happens at img it's just not in america very much absolutely absolutely and i think img isn't you know, the first to do it, but they're the first to do it at the level that they're doing it at. And at the same time, their whole philosophy, I say there, our whole philosophy at IMG <laughs> is we want to see development at, at every stage in their life. We have eighth graders, right? And we have postgraduate kids, all different ages, all different knowledges of their sport, right? Speaking on IMG, IMG as a whole. We want to see development at the end of the day, and there's no place like here that you know kids are able to develop and study the game at a young age. I'm teaching seventh and eighth graders stuff that I didn't learn until I was a sophomore in college, so that's that's what really makes this place special. When you talked about JJ McCarthy, I, I too thought I heard a, a stories about. It's, it reminded me of Tom Brady, a guy who wants to make his teammates better. Uh, and this doesn't have to be. You don't have to answer specifically for JJ, but how can any quarterback make his teammates better? Like I said, you have to make them believe in themselves. And mm. I think um, Tom Brady does that. I think J.J. does that. I think Josh Allen does that. You know, I think Pat Mahomes does that. Um, but he, he, they're all leaders to the point where they're so confident in their preparation that they have undeniable belief that they're going to win. Like, there's no thought that ever goes through their mind of, oh, well, if I make these mistakes, we might lose. They're thinking, no, I'm going to go out and embarrass this team. 
I'm going to go out and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns and zero picks because I don't throw picks. Like, just undeniable confidence to go out and ball out. And when you see that as a receiver, a tight end, an O-line, a running back, you believe it, right? You start to see your leadership not only being the voice, but they're leading with their play. Then you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to get behind this guy, and it's going to make me play the best I can be. So that's really my advice to young quarterbacks in particular is if you don't believe in yourself and you don't, like, exude that confidence, you can't, you, you can't be a great quarterback, right? Like, I've never met a great quarterback that was a bad leader or that was quiet or was shy. Like, all great quarterbacks that I've ever met just had that undeniable, like, willingness to be great. It'll be interesting to watch the preseason this year because I've heard I've heard guys uh, I've heard Tom Brady talk about this how even though he doesn't play in the preseason like not really he's not getting valuable reps as far as like in games risking his knee injuries or whatever mm-hmm. preseason is such a valuable time to uplift those guys who are fringe guys who may or may not make the team and give them confidence and help coach them up and get them valuable reps so they can learn the playbook better so when you need it when a guy like Scotty Miller who is a lesser known guy needs to make a play late in the game, late in the season. You, you worked with him in for the preseason to teach him that and get him prepared. And it's mm-hmm. uh, preparation cannot be understated at the quarterback position, how you need to think of every way you can the same way your high school football coach talked about every scenario you can, it goes beyond what you can do. It's what can your teammates do? And you want your guys around you to be ready for any moment possible that can help you and your team win a game. A hundred percent. And especially that relationship between quarterback and receiver, it's like that bond, that trust. You really see it with Tom Brady and Julian Edelman or Josh and Stephon Diggs, Pat and Travis Kelsey. Like they have this chemistry to where it's like, how did he know he was even throwing to him? He wasn't even looking at him. Uh, He just knew on that play it was coming to him eight yards deep, left shoulder. Like he, they just have that chemistry. And so I I really do think that's important because then you're having – that preparation and you're focusing in on every single detail, you're just increasing your chance to win the ball game. Right. And mm-hmm. timing is such a big thing as well. Like I can practice all day throwing a step on digs on a speed out. And then once Cole Beasley runs it, it's a completely different throw now. Right. Or it's a completely different mindset because they're two different speeds, two different heights, even if the ball is going in the same route. So that timing and that trust and that chemistry is, is huge at the quarterback position with the receivers. Okay, so our conversation, we ended it officially, and then we just kept talking, and I'm like, right. we should hit record again because we're talking about Riley Hennessy, a former Camus quarterback. You played with him. is literally, and I'm not kidding, you have it open in front of you, is playing in like the Italian <laughs> yeah. Super Bowl, literally in professional football in Europe. And you're like, oh, we should talk about that. I'm like, okay, so you played overseas. What was that like? So it was a crazy, actually, experience. I initially thought that I was going over there to play on the team as a wide receiver. And I was like, oh, we're going to dominate. It's going to be a great opportunity. I'm going to play with Riley again. You know, the 4-9 to nine connection is back. Everything. Like, we were ready. Had the Instagram captions and everything ready to go. <laughs> and I get over there, and they're like, hey, the way the visa's kind of sorted out, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to be a coach. I was like, awesome. I'd already had a, a season at IMG at that time mm. coaching. So I was like, awesome, whatever. Anything I can do to help the team. So um, I was – pretty much the offensive coordinator with the help of Riley and I wasn't actually speaking Italian at the time I knew a little bit you know just enough to order food but getting over there was a crazy experience because my mind was open to the fact that there are people out there 25 years and older that have never played football before or they just started playing football 
or they're still playing football as a side job, but they're not getting paid millions of dollars to do this. Like, there's people out there, grown men, that just play for the love of the game, really. Um, and, and actually, there's a book called Playing for Pizza, which is written about the Parma Panthers legacy, and that's a really, it's, that's a good book to check out, but it's a really good look into the experience of playing over in Europe, and in Italy in particular. I think what was the craziest thing was transitioning from seeing guys, young kids um, that I had to coach here at IMG, and thinking that, okay, these adults are basically on the same level mentally, fundamentally. Because, you know, some of these guys have never played before. Some of my kids have never played before. There might be a 15-year age, age difference, but they're still learning the fundamentals of football. So not only having that language barrier, but that knowledge of the game barrier, it really developed me as a football coach even more, I felt like. Um, but they picked it up so well. I, I do miss and love my teammates and, and the guys that I was coaching out there. I wish them the best, and I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, but, yeah, it was one of the most unique opportunities I've ever experienced, and I'm dying to travel the world again. That was my first opportunity to leave the country, and I, I got to be with Riley, which was a really cool experience. But you know, I wouldn't trade that four years or, excuse me, four months for anything, you know, because COVID hit and, really messed up a lot of our plans, but that was something I'll never forget. I've never met a person who talks about playing in Europe overseas and was like, I hated it. It was awful. Like yeah. every single person goes like, it sounds like it's something everyone should do if they get the opportunity. Correct. Absolutely. That's if, awesome. If you, if you have the opportunity to travel period, do it. If you have the opportunity to travel and, and work at the same time, take it. If you have the opportunity to travel and, and be with your best friend in Italy, <laughs> take it, right? Like anything, because you'll, you'll never regret it. I, I truly believe that. And um, I tuned in to hear Coach Dan Casey talking about when you make decisions centered around your family first, you'll never regret it. And that's mm -hmm. the truth. When, when you're single and don't have kids or anything like me, when you make decisions regarding your future and, and your experience first, you're never going to regret it. So I took a leap of faith in, in saying that, hey, I want to go try this whole thing out in Italy and, you know, my coaching career back home can wait when it when it happens, it happens. But I ended up learning so much in Italy, it actually helps boost my resume and, and I became a better coach because of that experience. Yeah, my buddy Marcel, I, one of like my closest friends played in, uh, in the SEC at Missouri. I played with him at David Douglas in Portland and he is right now coaching in Spain in the revival of NFL Europe. And like, yeah. he's like, he's not making a lot, but it's like, dude, I get to be in Spain and Barcelona coaching football on the beach. Like it's a priceless opportunity for him as far as like life experience and just getting to play football or getting to coach football and be around the game. And he, he says, there's no, he's like, all he can say is positive things. It's crazy how like yeah. happy he is and how much he enjoys it. I mean, the food to me was the biggest thing. <laughs> like the food is incredible. Oh, just a regular pizza to them is like probably a top five pizza in the whole country here in America. Like they take their food very serious. It's very um, rich in nutrients and they got the quality ingredients and all that, but it's real. It's real organic, natural, you know, ingredients. Unlike how we just advertise that here in America and then we're just still using the same processed foods. They have real, you know, natural ingredients and you can see them, you know, farm to table a lot of their foods. James, I gotta let you go. You're you're, you're amazing tonight. We've talked for you know between the time we recorded and the time you're just talking about <laughs> life, we've talked for more than an hour. I just want to say thank you. Uh, I I really appreciate your time, and I, I just I see your like literally a film open behind you. So 
Thank you so much. It means <laughs> yeah. a lot. And uh, I just, I'm always rooting for you. I really, I love to see you do well in life and I'm really happy for you. You're in Florida. You're doing a cool job coaching and I, I'm always rooting for you. It's been a pleasure and, and congratulations to you again, your engagement. And I wish you all the best. I, I do appreciate you having me on. It's been a long time coming <laughs> since the Skyview Camus days, but it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Hey, keep in touch. And again, always rooting for you. Yes, sir. You as well. Okay. I hope you enjoyed my interview with James Price. Uh, it is now time for Ask Zach. Let me say it first, though. In the break between interview and now, I, I tried to sell a bike on, on Facebook Marketplace. Some guy showed up, and I don't know what his, what his deal was. He rode my bike for, like, two minutes, decided something was wrong with it, and it wasn't worth the price, tried to talk me down. I'm like, no, it's already I'm already lowballing myself on the price. I'm not budging on the price. I had, we had this. It's like, dude, I'm not. I'm already selling it for. I'm selling a bike for $75, a great mountain bike. I'm like. I'm not lowering my price any more than I already have. I'm, it's it's price to sell. If you don't want to buy it for 75 effing dollars, have a good day. And he was like perturbed. I'm like, all right, bye. Like, no, I'm not lowering my price because you can't ride. He literally, it's like he couldn't ride a bike. I was like, you not being able to ride a bike is not my problem. So it was very bizarre. What a weird, dude, I, I've been trying to sell stuff on me, me being mostly my fiance trying to sell stuff on Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. Gosh, what a horrible experience. Like, it's so bad. And I almost wonder, people treat you like crap because they know they have what you want. Like, there's a power dynamic where they, they're they non-committal. They won't show up. They show up an hour late. They change their mind all the time. It's They know they have the money you want. They have something you want. There's a power dynamic. I wonder if there's a way to flip that power dynamic on its head and say, like, oh, no, like, if you don't show up at four o'clock, you're not getting the bike. You're not this. You're not like to make to like claim a boundary. And I don't know if it would actually sell stuff more, but it would definitely make my life a lot better. Not have to worry about the stupid nonsense of catering to all these to all these idiots who are on Facebook. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, man. OK, anyway, um, it's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience. In case you do not know how it works, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. Uh, what that does is gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Uh, you can donate more than a dollar if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. Uh, but I do look at every single one. I respond to messages as much as I can. I really I like engaging with the people on Patreon. It's my closest, most loyal group of people. So the first question from today is from Davis. Davis, Davis writes in, he says, your fiance walks in with popcorn in hand and states that you guys are going to binge a movie series. What are you choosing? So I'm going to watch a movie series with my fiance. It's a very easy decision, to be totally honest. Um, I, I was surprised at how easy it was to answer this question. I'm watching Harry Potter. Like, are you, it's, we're getting into fall soon. Harry Potter, it's, I believe, is it 12 or 13 movies? It's an, a massive amount of movies, and they're all, every single one is good. In fact, I would even argue everyone is better than the next. It's crazy how much, that series is so good. I, I watched it last year with my fiance during quarantine. I'm like, it blew our minds. Like, this is such an unbelievably good series. It's like that or Lord of the Rings, maybe, Um Oddly enough, I would have thought Star Wars was in the conversation, but I would rather watch Harry Potter than Star Wars. I think it's 
more compelling, better storytelling. There's more good movies in the Harry Potter franchise than there are in the Star Wars saga. Uh, and, and by the way, Davis, your question, I need for a movie marathon, by the way, I need more than popcorn. Like I'm getting great candy, hopefully pizza, some nachos. Like I would go all in and make some amazing snack food. And that kind of leads into my next question is Caleb writes in. He says, hey, Zach, if you were able to create your own movie theater, what would it look like? Would it be big, small? What type of snacks would it provide? And where would it be? Wishing you the best on your move, Caleb. Um, it would be at my home. It'd be a private movie theater. It probably wouldn't be very big. It'd be tiny. It would be like a big, probably have like a couch bed hybrid where you have like a couch with long, like bed-like length. And then you know those desks where you use them in bed where you sit on your back and it like sits over your, your lap and you can put food or a laptop in front of you? I'd do that for food. It'd be like your, it'd be like breakfast in bed watching movies. That's like my my dream thought for a movie theater. Loud surround sound. You know, hypothetically, in in best case scenario, it would be right off my kitchen. So you walk, the door leads you to the kitchen where there's all kinds of snacks and food and all kinds of stuff available, and it would be a small, intimate, private theater. That that's like my dream theater. Certainly, nobody around me. Uh, also, at home, it's great because you can pause it if you want to. I I like watching stuff at home. It's crazy. Like since the pandemic hit, a couple of my friends have invited me out to movies and I'm like, hey, are you insane? Like that movie's available on Amazon Prime. Why would you watch it at a movie theater? And I I loved movie theaters. I used to work at a movie theater. And I, I can tell you, it's so much better to watch stuff at home where you can have your own snacks and you can pause for bathroom breaks and there's no loud people around you. There's no one talking. There's no kids. There's nothing better than watching stuff at your house. If you have a good TV, which I, I don't even have a great TV, but it's still good. It's still a good experience. And so uh, I, I'll i probably always watch massive movies. Like, like when the next Avatar movie comes out or if there was like another – I'm trying to think of what – like I'll go watch uh, Top Gun 2, uh, Top Gun Maverick, whatever it's called. The next Top Gun movie I'll go see in theaters. But the amount of movies I want to go see in theaters are, are now few and far between because the – experience at home is so so much better okay um the ham man writes in it's not a question just a very very kind comment i want to acknowledge it he says i think on behalf of all the listeners of this podcast i'd like to say thank you for posting as consistently as you do with quality too of course your podcast has grown tremendously and will continue to grow and i'd like to thank you for not selling out to a big company it's nice to be able to turn into such to tune into such a genuine person that is so dedicated to his craft and living his best life. Thank you, uh, Ham Man. Thank you so much, man. I, I I've ranted about this before. In fact, I did a flawed humans episode with my fiance uh, about literally like somehow we ended up talking, and I hope she leaves it in and doesn't cut it out. I was ranting about how much I hate ESPN. Like I, I hate them with a passion, and uh, I, I've worked for them in the past. I've done contract work. It's been awful. I had to fight. They, I worked for them in April, and they they hired me for contract work and then wouldn't pay me. And I'm like, I, I had to fight them for money, and they acted like I was an inconvenience for being like, hey, no, uh, over two months ago, I worked for you, and you never paid me. And it, they acted like I was inappropriate for being like, hey, where's my money? And I'm like, no, uh, hey, I, I've worked for you guys a lot over the years. I've never not been paid before. This is effing weird. And I had to be kind of aggressive to go chase down my money, and I... What they didn't seem to realize is, hey, I was ready to make a video like, hey, ESPN won't pay me. And, and that actually would have probably made me more money than 
any of the money ESPN owed me. So it's like, I can't imagine how good that video would have done for me, like genuinely calling out ESPN saying, hey, these guys won't pay me. And they made it very difficult. They sent me PDFs from 2004 that like you couldn't edit. It was, it's a whole, a, a whole saga and Angry Zach came out and I, I probably burned a bridge and I don't really care because I never, I, I hate them. I don't want to work for them. I don't like working for them. It's a miserable experience. It's much better when you have control and work for yourself. And I, uh, if they ever want to work for me, if they ever want me to work for them, they have to like really bend over backwards to make me want to work for them because I, I don't like them. I, I really hate big networks, especially, especially ESPN. Sorry for the rant. Uh, Ham man, thank you, man. I, I love what I do. I love my craft. I love working for myself. I, and do take heart. I, I am never planning on, and not just never planning to, like it's a big core value of mine. I will always do this myself. And I, it would be nice to have a ton of money so I could do a show every day with a production team and probably have like a basketball podcast where I hired someone to do a basketball show and a hockey show and they came as guests on my show and I paid them so they had to come on my show. Like that be that sounds fun. Uh, but honestly, like if it never does go more than what it is already, I'm very happy. And I, I take great inspiration from uh, Colin Moriarty who does uh, kind of the, the CEO of Last Stand Media. Look up Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. I try to view myself as the the sports version of that company. And well, they have a PlayStation show and now an Xbox show. I'd love, I'd love to have, you know, a baseball show or a basketball show or a hockey show, and then have that all kind of work towards the main show, which is strong abandoned sports. I don't know if that's even possible. I don't know entirely what that looks like, but I, man, I love making content and it would be nice to have more people that work under me, but I promise you, I will never work for someone else. That's, that's like a, a massive core value to me. And the only way you, I could ever see myself working for someone else is doing like, if it made sense where they said you have complete control and you can use video, like to have, if, if I worked for Fox Sports, for example, and they said I could use football clips on my show and, and being part of their company gave me the licensing and access to other interesting people like Joel Klatt or I'm trying to think, I, I don't know who else works for Fox, but to have interesting guests on my show and, and to do... You know, like to have lots of film that I don't have to license and is easy to work with and I just get access to and I could play way more video clips on my show, then I might do it. But I would only do it if they truly said you can do whatever you want. You have complete autonomy. You can stay on YouTube. You don't need to be on a TV network. Like as long as I could keep doing what I'm doing and somehow they got out of the way, which again, it would never happen. So um, I promise you the spirit of the show will never change. I, I view myself like a rebel. I do my own thing and I'm very, very happy doing that. Austin writes in, he says, hey, Zach, I've been a huge fan of Tom Brady's domination of the NFL these past two decades. His accomplishments, work ethic, and dedication will most likely stand the test of time, and Tom Brady will be forever known as the greatest athlete of all time. Whoa, may maybe. Uh, my question is, what does Tom Brady do after he finally retires? Does he go into coaching or commentating, or will he play until he's 80 years old? Uh, and he, his second question is how many episodes on his life would a docuseries have to make for you to be feel fulfilled? Thanks for reading my novel with your eyeballs. Keep up the great work. I've already talked about the, the docuseries. I really think, you know, it could be like, I think a 25 episode season literally would be enough. Maybe, maybe, but I'd want one for, I'd want a, an episode for every season of his career plus college plus post career. What does Tom Brady do when he retires? That's a very interesting question. Um, I kind of hope, and I'm going to cuss, so beware. French is coming. Pardon my French. 
I kind of hope he just fucks right off and, and disappears into like the Bahamas or, you know, buys an island in Fiji or something. Like I could see that happening, right? Um, but I also kind of hope he's involved with football. I'd be cool to see him. I'd love to see Tom Brady do something personality driven. We just got the news that Tom, uh, sorry, Peyton Manning and his brother Eli Manning are going to do like an alternate Monday night football broadcast. That sounds kind of cool. But he, here's what I, I really want to point out to people. And, and it's very, very important. They realize this about Tom Brady. Tom Brady right now is in charge. He's got a coach. Sure. But Tom Brady is the boss in Tampa Bay and he collaborates with other people. But if Tom Brady really, truly doesn't want to do something, you're not going to make Tom Brady do that. Right now, Tom Brady only does what he wants to do, truly. And it, he, he's open to suggestions. And if you have a good idea that you can, I'm sure you, like, I'm sure if um, the coach of the Buccaneers, what's it, uh, Bruce Arians said, hey, Tom, I know you're not open to this right now, but let me, let me, let me sell you this idea. I'm sure Tom would listen and might be willing to change his mind. But I, I can't say that for the most part, Tom Brady does exactly what he wants to do and nothing more, nothing less. I can't imagine a world where Tom Brady goes backwards because once you're your own boss and you do whatever you want, it feels awful to go backwards. I just talked about how I hate ESPN and I've worked for ESPN and I, I've been a cameraman for ESPN. And it's so frustrating to show up on set and have to follow orders especially when you don't agree and you're not allowed to question. You're not allowed to. And in my job, in my everyday life, I'm a, I am my own boss. I do literally whatever I want. And so with that perspective in mind, I can't imagine Tom Brady doing anything where he's not in charge after football. And so I think because of that important thing is he, you know, you watch guys like uh, on TV all the time who clearly like are following what producers tell them to say and this and that. And these are major athletes who need the money, and are beholden to whatever company they work for and have to say whatever they want. And I have friends who work for ESPN who message me privately saying, I hate this. I'm not allowed to say X, Y, and Z. You are. Enjoy that. So I just, man, I can't say enough. I, I really think if Tom Brady does anything after football, meaningful, he's going to have to be in charge. And I, I can't say that enough. He's not going to be the guy who does whatever a producer tells him. Maybe, but how much does Tom Brady want to be liked versus how much does Tom Brady want to be in charge? I would imagine. He really likes being in charge. Mateo writes in, he says, Hi, Zach, is a huge hockey fan all the way from Nunavut, Canada. Nunavut? N-U-N-A-V-U-T. I'm going to say Nunavut, Canada. I want to know which team you'll be following for next NHL season. I'm looking forward to seeing what the new expansion team, the Seattle Kraken, do in the, in the expansion draft and during the season. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Mateo, I, Aust, my, my buddy Austin, who I do hockey content with lives in Seattle, Washington. Seattle is a direct flight away from Hawaii. Very easy to get there. My plan is to go to a Seattle hockey, you know, Seattle hockey game. It'd be very fun. The Kraken have an amazing logo. I want to buy a Kraken jersey. Uh, I, the logo is so cool with the eyes standing out of the S. Um, I, I think I'm going to have Austin on as a guest. We might call it, he's Austin Cram. We might call it Cram Time to talk about the expansion draft, it'd be very, you know, it's happening later today. The rumors say they're not going to draft Carey Price, the Canadians goalie. I'd like it if they did, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I do I do plan to, if I follow any team next year in the NHL, the one team I'm going to follow is in fact the Seattle Kraken. I am a Northwest guy who will live a 
short plane flight away from a Seattle game. I'll stay with Austin, watch a game. That is my plan for next NHL season. Aaron writes in. Aaron says, Yo, Zach, when it comes to moving to Hawaii, other than fit, how did you decide it was a good place for you to live? Uh, someone who would also like to move across the country, I'm very curious. So, Aaron, number one, obviously, I had, I had to find a place that I could afford. And that was a big, like, Hawaii is not affordable really at all. And I, I got very lucky finding a good place that worked for us. And that uh, actually, somehow, and I still, I'm waiting for the cockroaches to come out and, like, the, you know, it, the building to fall in us or something, but we got a place that's actually cheaper than where we live in Portland, which I think says a lot about like, actually, if you look at the metrics, Hawaii is the most expensive place to live in the United States. Portland is number four. So it's not like I, I already live in a very expensive place and to find a place that was smaller and actually more affordable. I, I think the leap wasn't as crazy as if I went from like Kentucky to Hawaii. Right. Uh, for most people, I, anyway, I had to figure that out. Now, I aside from Hawaii is a great fit culturally. I really I admire it. I love it. I, I think that everything's great there. What I did, I had to ask myself, like, what do I want day to day to look like for me? And I knew that when I'm not working, I want to be at the beach. And I, I work literally like 80 hours a week. I, I work insane amounts of time. I'm, I'm always doing stuff. And I knew in the, the rare moments when I wasn't working, I wanted to be somewhere amazing. I didn't want to be somewhere cold. I didn't want to be somewhere snowy or raining or, or too hot or too cold. Like The Portland area is insane for many reasons other than weather. But even the weather is something I, I find unacceptable and I hate it. So I wanted to live somewhere warm and nice where when I'm not working, I feel like I'm somewhere that I, I'm lucky to be. But then also the most important thing I found was that I wanted to be somewhere that I was proud to call home. And I I grew up in Portland, but it the city has really changed from when I grew up and I, it was no longer a place I was proud to say I lived there anymore. I was not like, oh, I, 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 let me tell you, I wasn't like really excited to say I live in the Portland area. I Just I'm not. It's not. It's not. Now, Hawaii is somewhere when people ask me, are, where are you from? I, I can say I live in Hawaii. That gives me a sense of pride. It's a place I'm happy to go home that I want to take care of, that I want to clean up. I'm, we're doing beach cleanups. We're doing stuff like that. I really, really want to take care of this place and I love it. And... I would just encourage people to find a place that they have a sense of pride about. That's certainly how I feel about Hawaii. Uh, let me drink some water real quick. I'm like tearing up. It's funny. I, I just love it so much. Um, <clears throat> Rachel writes in, she says, when you were playing quarterback, if you could have miraculously automatically or significantly upgraded one of your specific abilities or physical attributes, what would you pick and why? I'm thinking stuff like arm strength, quickness, height, mental processing, speed, etc. Um, straight up, I wish I'd been taller. I think if I was 6'5", I would have got a Division One offer, like un- undoubtedly, because I, I'm i not going to toot my own horn. I try to be very modest when I talk about my high school football career, uh, but I, I was pretty dang skilled. Go watch my highlights. Go watch how I played. I, you know, I, the D3 school I ended up said I was one of the highest ranked players they'd ever recruited, so I, I must have been doing something right. And I saw much less talented guys who could not throw the ball as well as I did, who had worse timing, worse footwork, were less accurate. I saw guys like that get more attention and even scholarships because of their size. Literally one time, this guy named Thomas, who I took a picture with at a, at a, at a training session, dude was 6'5", took a picture with him, and a coach I was recruiting, a college coach that was recruiting me, excuse me, that was recruiting me, saw that picture, asked who he was, and from picture alone, 
gave him a scholarship offer because he he literally and, and by the way, this guy looked like an Adonis. He was like six five. He ended up playing tight end. Like he was. I get why he got recruited, but I always wished, like, man, I know I would have got more opportunities if I was taller because I had everything else. And I, I saw guys get all kinds of opportunities that I felt like they didn't deserve because of their height. I, mean, I went to Oregon State camp and they said, hey, everybody who's six foot four and taller, come over here. And they were working with a quarterback coach. And I was off of the side making better throws than those guys, but I was 5'11, so I didn't get any looks. And it was really, really frustrating. So um, I probably sound bitter. I'm a little bit bitter. But I've accepted my fate. I actually like my life probably way more than if I was playing college football or whatever. So I, I'm, I'm way happier now. Um, but at the time, I remember being very frustrated. Like, dang it! Like my size is really a limiting factor. And I was coming right now. It's actually if, if I was probably a senior now, it would have been very different than if I was a senior back then. I also probably would have found a way to reclassify too. Um, I would have said, like, hey, I'm going to hold myself back a year to be even better at football. Like, there's all kinds of stuff I could have manipulated that I didn't know about then that I now know. Um, but one of them, I, I mean, I, I just wish I had been taller. I mean, I, but either way, I guess I'm happy. Like, the way my life turned out is pretty dang awesome. I'm moving to Hawaii. I've got a great job talking about sports for a living. So, uh, in the end, I, I'm happy. Jeff wrote in and said, do you ever see yourself attending a Super Bowl in person? If so... When's the soonest you'd like to go? Uh, Jeffrey, I'll probably always like actually watch the game in private on TV, whether that be in a hotel room or at my house. Uh, I think the best way to watch a game in general, a football game, is on TV, straight up. Like you, you get to pause it. You get to have your own snacks. There's no one around you judging you for taking notes. I don't really like going to NFL games that much. I've gone as a media member. That's a little better. Because uh, you're in a booth and there is food provided and you have your own area to take notes and no one bothers you. Um, here's what here's what I'll say, Jeffrey. If I go to a Super Bowl, I'd probably go for Super Bowl week. I'd rent like an Airbnb. I'd have the mobile command center at the Airbnb. I'd have guests come on because the Super Bowl is a big event where everyone from the football world shows up. And you have coaches and players and scouts. And it'd be fun to have all kinds of people sit on a couch with me and have conversations and talk about football for a week. That'd be pretty fun. So, you know, Radio Row is a very famous thing in Super Bowl, um, in Super Bowl week, the Super Bowl week. And I'd love to have that kind of event where people come to my Airbnb, record podcasts with me, like a big event. It'd be very fun. But even if I did that, the actual game itself, I'd probably just watch the game from the Airbnb rather than go to a game. Hey, I'm not paying for a ticket. And even if I look, if you provide me with a ticket, I will go because that's just once in a lifetime I should do it. But in my heart of hearts, I prefer to watch football from a private setting than I do at games themselves because it's just more fun on TV, frankly. It's a better experience. And there's not a lot of sports like that, but that definitely is how I feel about the NFL and about football games. Okay, final question today comes from Allie. Allie writes in, she says, Hi, Zach. Normally I would share a fun fact or an interesting question, but today I'm looking for some advice. Let me give you some background information. I was born with something called bilateral cleft lip and palate. This is something that is very common. Even Peyton Manning has a form of it. Unfortunately, my case is very severe. My doctor told my parents when I was born it was the worst case he'd ever seen. I am not here to complain, but just to explain. That rhymes. I like that. Anyways, I've had 10 surgeries on everything from my nose, ears, and jaw. And this coming September, I'm having my 11th surgery. It is a major jaw surgery called a jaw distraction. This is a very serious surgery. The recovery time is over six months. And I'm wondering, Zach, you always seem to give 
great advice to your viewers in quarrels. And I'm looking for just about anything. Not from a doctor, not from a parent, but from you because I greatly value your opinion. Thank you. So I also, I asked Allie, I sent Allie a message on Patreon, asked for more background. She said, thank you for the message. I appreciate it. I guess I'm just looking for general advice in regards to the recovery process. The way this surgery works, I'm going to have a large metal device in my mouth for about six months. Just like anybody in this type of upcoming situation, I guess I'm looking for just about any ideas you might have for me or anyone else who has to deal with the difficulties of post-op. Also, this is something that both average Americans and professional athletes deal with every day. So, th- so I thought you might be able to make a connection. Again, thanks for the message. Allie, thank you so much. Um, I try to think a, like long and hard about this, put great thought and care into it. I even talked to my fiance, my dad. Uh, one piece of feedback I got from my fiance in particular, she recommended that you watch uh, Shelby Church's video. Look up Shelby Church on YouTube. Look up Shelby Church jaw surgery. It's a whole series. I, I looked it up. There's like, I saw like seven videos, right? About three months out, six months out, nine months out, all the experience. And not only would I recommend you read, watch the videos she put out there. Also read the comments as well. The comments are very helpful. It's a whole community of people who can relate to that experience of post-op. And if you want like a thread of people sharing whatever tips and tr- like, tricks they have for dealing with, you know, post-op and post-surgery, go watch that series. Shelby Church on YouTube. Read the comments. Watch the videos. Great advice in there. I have no doubt. Uh, So that's one piece of advice I have. My second thing to say is that the SOS community is behind you. Uh, I know that a lot of people, I get messages even on Instagram that say like, oh, dude, this alley person writes the coolest questions about how you, you share all these fun facts. And people even say like, you always know when it's an alley question, it's going to be a good one. So there are people in this community. You become kind of a character in this community. And so people have your back and they're rooting for you. I, I know that for a fact. So it's cool to hear your plight. I had no idea, honestly, that this was something you were going through. And it's very, I appreciate you writing in. Um, me personally, I would recommend getting like a Kindle Paperwhite, downloading a bunch of books, uh, get maybe a Nintendo Switch. Um, here's what I would say. And this is a weird thought, but it, I think it does matter. It's a very unique opportunity you're never going to get in your entire life. I think a lot of people would kind of kill for a six-month break from what they're doing. A break off work, a break out of school, a chance to lay in bed. I don't know, but it might be an opportunity you're never going to get again to really dive into something you care about. Whether it be, for example, I would love to play Skyrim. I've never played Skyrim, not really. To dive in and like complete Skyrim entirely would be very, very fun for me. Um there's whole TV series I've never watched that I'd always love to watch. I, I've always wanted to watch. Uh, I, I've watched parts of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've never finished it because I got busy and stuff happened. And I, I'd love to watch that. It'd be very fun. Uh, try to think of what is something you can only do in this point of your life that you're maybe never going to have time or the opportunity to do again. Do that because you'll always look back and say, you know what? It wasn't perfect, but I found a way to make it into something unique and something special. I would try to make this time of recovery into something that you can do that way. Um, I would also, my, my fiance had this piece of advice that's very, I think, important. She said, she recommended you take progress pictures like every week and maybe every Monday. Every Monday you take a picture of your jaw. And it'll help with perspective when you look back and go, man, it's been three weeks and I already see progress. Or after six months, you look back and go, this is day. This is week number one compared to week, what's 52 divided by 2, 27, I guess, maybe. 
26, 26, week 26. You're like, this is an unbelievable change over the months and over the weeks. And so take progress pictures, find a way to use the time that you will feel good about. And um, it's a unique opportunity post-op to do something you might, what, to use the time in a way you might never, ever get again. I, I just recommend find a way to make it special and lean into it. Uh, I understand. I, I worry you'll be lonely. I worry you'll have problems, but I, I can't recommend it. I'll find a way to take advantage of the time and use it to help to benefit you rather than letting it dominate your life and, and cruelly kind of control you. So Ali, I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking about you. I, I don't pray, but if I did, I would pray for you. And I just want to say like, I, I, I care about you, man. You're, you're a, an ongoing listener of the show. You're kind of a character character in this world. And I, uh, I, I'm just rooting for you and anything. And I think we all are. Anyone who listens to this show, hears your story and goes, that's compelling. And I root for that. So Ali, thank you for writing in. I hope my feedback was valuable and helpful. I really did put a lot of thought and care in answering that question. And I just want to say thank you, uh, guys. That's all I have. Uh, it's been a really fun show. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, it's very possible. It will be a while before you hear the next episode. I am moving on August seven. I'm on a plane with all my crap that's I have left here and I'm headed to Hawaii. Uh, between now and then, it's just football. It's just film analysis. It's just all football topics. And I, I'm going to take my time both with packing and watching film and trying to make really good content. So if you if it's a couple days and maybe a week before you see another episode, do not panic. I'm working on it. It's coming. Uh, and in the meantime, I love you. I appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.